0: Okay, now we're gonna spend some time looking at the Bible together. So grab your Bibles and open them up to Proverbs. We're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs. You can kind of crack your Bible open to the middle and that'll get get you pretty close. We'll bounce around again today. Uh, What we did was we went verse by verse for the first 10 chapters of Proverbs. And then as the book changes its structures, and chapters 11 through 30, it gets much more topical. So we've been doing then topical sermons over the last several weeks. And so our topic this week will be all over the place, but we'll start in chapter 30. So if you want to flip over to chapter 30, that'll be our starting point. And this week we're calling it Be Wise About Wealth. Be wise about wealth. I skimmed through Proverbs, actually dug through Proverbs pretty slowly, searching every word money, riches, giving, generosity, poor, wealthy, abundance, prosperity. Just kind of looked up everything that had anything to do with money and tried to boil down some basics of what Proverbs has to say about money. And then what I tried to do is compare that to what the rest of the Bible has to say about money too. A topical sermon can be difficult because you're trying to kind of glean what this book says about the topic, but then also compare that to other scriptures. And one scripture that really jumps out about money before we look at our main verse of the day is a famous story by Jesus in the New Testament. It appears in both Matthew 19 and in Mark chapter 10. You're probably familiar with the story. There's a very rich and influential man, a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and asks him how he can have eternal life. And he and Jesus have an exchange, and I'm not going to read through the whole story, but to give you the gist of it, Jesus says, well, eternal life starts with obeying God's commands, doing what God says. It's an echo of what we've been hearing in Proverbs. We've said again and again that wisdom, biblical wisdom, is listening to God's voice and doing what he says. Human beings all have the same problem of wanting to do what we say and ignoring God's voice. But in Proverbs and the rest of the Bible, we're told, no, if you pay attention to God's voice and you follow him, that's true wisdom. That's where the riches are found. Well, Jesus is talking about this with the rich young ruler. He says, okay, we'll do, do God's commands. And he lists out some of them. The rich young ruler says, I've done that. I've done all those commands. I've kept all those commands since my youth. Jesus realizes that this guy needs some help. So Jesus says, "Okay." Well, then go sell all of your riches and give your money to the poor and then come and follow me. And the story says that the rich young ruler went away sad. He was discouraged. He was grieved. And the disciples were freaked out. Because in a biblical economy, righteousness goes along with having money. We're going to see that in Proverbs. So they were confused because Jesus seemed to be turning things upside down. And they were really upset. And Jesus said, well, to be frank, it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I grabbed a needle, and I think I dropped it somewhere already. But for those of you that have never seen a needle, they're very small, okay? Imagine I'm holding one. I'm holding one right now. You just can't see it. They're very tiny. Camels are very big. What Jesus is saying is that if you're rich, it's impossible to be saved. It's pretty scary, isn't it? His disciples knew what he was saying. They were like, well, then how can anyone be saved? They recognized what he was saying. I've got additional bad news for you. When you look out over the world, we in this room are some of the richest people in the world. So Jesus is warning that it's basically impossible for us to be saved. What are we going to do? Should we give up and walk out the door? I want to leave the tension for a little while. Spoiler alert, I I think we can be saved, but I'm not going to tell you how yet, okay? What I want to do is I want to then look at what does Proverbs say about riches and wealth and money and power and influence, and how do these things work in the Proverbs? So we'll start off with Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, thinking about How can we be wise about wealth? What does that look like? What do we do? Jesus has set the bar pretty high. We all have a problem. We're all rich and we cannot be saved, according to where we left the story. What does Proverbs 30 says? Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask, if you deny them not to me before I die. So this is a prayer. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die, remove far from me falsehood and lying, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The wisdom of this proverb is saying, oh God, help me not to be so rich that I think I can live life without you and I don't need you. Help me not to be so poor that I become desperate and I think I need to take things into my own hands and profane your name to get the money or the food that I need. It's walking this middle way. It's way more complicated even than just this proverb. There are a lot more proverbs for us to look at, but I wanna pray and ask God's spirit to teach us because there are some tensions here. As I said, we're the richest people in the world. We struggle to understand rightly what money is. We need God's eternal perspective to really understand this. So we'll pray that his spirit would meet us now in this time. God, we pray that you would help us to listen to your word, to obey your voice, to practice biblical wisdom, that we wouldn't just listen and walk away, but we would listen and obey, that we would follow you. And God, we're convinced that you're gracious. We've seen that in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But we struggle to know how to think clearly about money. So will you be present with us by your spirit because of your grace? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, I, I looked through all the different uh, proverbs about money and tried to collect them into different kind of stacks, different themes. Um, and I've got three themes here now that I've found as we looked through it. Uh, the first theme is that biblical justice sets the boundaries for wealth. When we're talking about trying to think about money, we want to think about what are the, the biblical boundaries? What are the biblical lines that God has drawn? So biblical justice sets the boundaries for wealth. The second theme I saw is that hard work is the commanded path to wealth. Hard work is the commanded path to work. God has given us something to do. Go work hard. And then number three, generosity is the gospel fruit of wealth. Generosity is the gospel fruit of wealth. So number one, biblical justice sets the boundaries for wealth. The lines are drawn by God. Politics is going to try to get us to think one thing. There's competing visions of what is right and what is wrong and how we're supposed to think about money and how we're supposed to think about poor people and how we're supposed to think about rich people. And we need to be careful not to get our understanding of that from the culture or from politics, but we want to get our understanding from the Bible. From what God has to say, biblical justice is the norm. If you want to search this further, there are a couple of Hebrew words for justice in the Old Testament. We've got zedek and mishpat. One of them emphasizes kind of the eternal standards that are unchanging. And the other emphasizes looking out for those who are struggling. And you might recognize even in those simple definitions of zedek and mishpat, The competing visions of what justice is in our society. Some will say it's all eternal standards of perfect righteousness that kind of float above in heaven, right? Kind of rooted in God. And we would say, well, yeah, that's true. And then others say, no, justice is all about looking out for those who are weak and struggling. Mishpat. And the Bible actually says both things are really important. And so we've got some Proverbs that talk about. This Proverbs 13, 22 through 23 kind of gives both sides of it, looking at the rich and the poor, and then Proverbs 14, 24, and Proverbs 29, 7. So I want to start with Proverbs 13, 22 through 23, flip over kind of to the middle of Proverbs chapter 13, verses 22 through 23. And here basically what we see is kind of the left and right ditches of rich and poor, right? Some of us think rich are always good. Some of us think poor are always bad. Or you might be on the other side. Poor are always good. Rich are always bad, right? And so there's a more nuanced approach given here in Proverbs chapter 13, verses 22 through 23. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So here verse 22 says, it's a good thing to have some money and leave it to your kids. That's just the common sense of Proverbs. Wealth can be a blessing. You want to have some and give it to your kids. And then verse 23, the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. What is that saying? It's saying, you know, there's some poor people in this world that could have a lot more money and be way more productive, but corruption and injustice has stolen it from them. And so Proverbs doesn't allow us to reduce it all down to one answer. Politicians want to tell us, oh, this is the one thing you have to know, right? The Bible says, no, it's a little more complicated than that. Having and developing property, making money, it's a good thing, and it's a blessing from the Lord. But sometimes poor people have been robbed, right? And so we have both extremes, right? In our culture, our culture wants to tell us, no, rich people are always right, or poor people are always right. No, they're They're both made by God, right? What does Romans 3.23 tell us about rich people and poor people? They're all made in God's image and they've all fallen from the glory of God. We've all sinned, right? If you're rich or poor, you're still a sinner that needs Jesus to save you. We're a united humanity. So your richness doesn't make you uh, righteous in God's eyes and your poorness doesn't make you righteous in God's eyes. Let's look at the other Proverbs 14.24. It's just the next chapter 14.24 14.24 says this, The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. The crown of the wise is their wealth. What is that saying? If you're wise, if you're obeying God's voice, generally, one of the rewards for that is wealth. We, that, that's hard for us to hear, right? Now again, we have to clarify, it's not automatic. It's not mechanical. This is all things being equal. Right? Like if someone just put a gun to your back and said, Give me all your money, this doesn't apply to you, right? (laughs) Like if you've lived a righteous life and worked hard and built a business and made a lot of money, this applies to you. If you followed God's commands, then that money is a blessing for your hard work and your righteous living. But sometimes someone just robbed you and you don't have anything, right? And so these proverbs are kind of telling us how the world normally works. God has constructed the world. So that generally there's a blessing in doing the right thing. Sometimes disease comes in and wipes it all away. Sometimes disaster comes in and wipes it all away. Sometimes uh, someone's theft comes in and takes it, right? But there's just a general principle here of hey, it's not a bad thing necessarily to be rich. We now want to balance that looking at 29 7. Look at 29 7. All the way towards the end of the book chapter 29 verse 7 says, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor and a wicked man does not understand such knowledge. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. Now again, we want to clarify. Some people are saying today that the rights of the poor are to have everything that belongs to the rich. Well, no, that's not what the Bible is saying, but it is saying we want to be careful and watch out for the poor. If you have a lot of money in a city, and there are these other people that don't have a lot of money in the city. Your voice with a lot of money carries more weight. You have more influence. People are going to watch out for you. There's a lot of Proverbs that talk about this. Just the common sense of, oh, if you're, if you're rich, everybody wants to be your friend. If you're poor, nobody wants to be your friend, right? There's, there's tons of Proverbs that talk about this. And so if you are rich, if you do have influence, the Bible's always saying, watch out for those that don't have influence. Like, be careful. Don't actually, you know, accidentally stomp on their rights. Be aware of their rights. Watch out for them. Be careful. Be cautious. So again, we want to kind of watch those, those two sides of the equation. It's not like rich people are always right and it's not like poor people are always right. We, we both have to be aware. We're all sinners made in God's image. We need to watch out for each other. We need to recognize the, the biblical boundaries set by biblical justice. We shouldn't despise the rich and we shouldn't despise the poor. Two extremes that our culture wants to drag us into. Our culture wants to make us war with each other. God says, no, pay attention to what I have to say about this. I grabbed a picture here of um, a basketball goal with the lines around the goal. I thought this was a good illustration for me because I used to play kind of front driveway basketball with my friends all the time as a teenager. I never played on a real basketball team, right? As a teenager growing up, we just played in in the driveway, you know, we'd play horse and 21 and knockout and, you know, all these different games, or we'd play two-on-two basketball. Um, And of my four or five friends, I was the tallest one in our teen years, and so I had this habit of just kind of standing under the goal and jumping up and swatting away their shots, right? And this is something I perfected over time. And then our senior year, we all joined a city rec basketball league. And this was a real basketball league where we obeyed the real rules of basketball, which I had not learned up until that point. And so in the city rec league, I'm under the goal in what they call the paint, right? That little center part with the lines, the boundaries, right? And the the ref keeps like blowing the whistle saying three seconds, three seconds. I have no idea what he's talking about. Apparently, there's some boundaries set here in the game of basketball. You're not supposed to just stand for more than three seconds under the goal. It's illegal. I was violating the boundaries. I didn't know the rules. Well, the example is, we do this all the time with money. We don't pay attention to what God has said about money. We just hear something that stirs our emotions. Some politician or some movie or some sad story gets us all stirred up. And we hate the rich people or we hate the poor people. We're despising these people or we're despising those people instead of honoring everybody as made in the image of God and recognizing there are these two ditches we can fall into easily and we need to listen to what God has to say about money. We need to understand his biblical definitions of justice. The way I like to say this when we're thinking about it in terms of our gospel identity is that we can fall off the ditch on one side of triumphalism and the ditch on the other side of despair. Triumphalism says, I've accomplished all this. I'm awesome. I don't need God. That's what Proverbs 30 was saying. Man, God, don't let me get to a point where I've accomplished so much that I think I don't need you. It's dangerous. And so as we amass experience and money and influence and success, that's a very real danger that we should desperately pray that God guards us against. Triumphalism. And then the other ditch is despair. Saying, ah, the system's rigged. I can't get ahead. I'm not even gonna try. It's the rich people's fault. They're all corrupt, right? Playing the victim. The gospel frees us to have our identity as beloved children of God. God loves me. He's proved that through Jesus. So that's gonna enable me to persevere when I'm in poor circumstances, right? Paul says, I know the secret to living in plenty and in want. The secret is Jesus. I can persevere in want, in lack, in hard times. And I can persevere through the danger of riches, which is also a very real danger because I'm trusting that God is the one who's adopted me and given me this influence or lack of influence for his glory. And I'm going to obey him with the circumstances he's given to me. So the second point is that hard work is the commanded path to wealth. Hard work is the commanded path to wealth. We see this in Proverbs 10.4. Proverbs thirteen eleven, and 14, 4. So kind of back to the middle of the book again. Proverbs 10, 4, 13, 11, and 14, 4. We've said this a lot over the last year or two. God calls us to work hard. If you own a business, it's one of the hardest things about owning a business. It's hard to find people in our culture that like to or can work hard. It's a missing ingredient in our culture. Um, so we need to recognize that this is a biblical value, and when we work hard, it, it honors God. He's made us for this. So Proverbs 10:4 says this: "A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand, that's like a, a lazy hand, right? Not working hard causes poverty. causes you to be poor. but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And again, we have to keep saying this. Sometimes you've been working hard your whole life. You've amassed a lot of wealth and somebody just stole it from you. So in those circumstances, right, this doesn't necessarily apply specifically to that circumstance. But the general way that God has made the world is that wealth is a reward for hard work. Hard work is the commanded path. We're told like, go down this path. We should all work hard for the glory of God. The next verse is over a couple of pages, 1311. In 1311, it says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Any of you ever gotten kind of sucked into a get rich quick scheme? Like, oh, I can get rich right away. I don't have to work hard over my entire life, right? I've gotten lured into many of those over the years when I was younger. Like, oh, this, this is the silver bullet that's going to solve all my financial problems, right? The proverb says, just work and work some more and work some more and work some more right little by little that's how wealth is built wealth gained hastily will dwindle but whoever gathers little by little will increase it that's hard work hard work is the commanded path to wealth 14.4 flip over one more chapter 14.4 is one of my favorites because it's kind of gross this is the fifth grade boy in me that likes this one i guess 14.4 14.4 says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. What is that saying? You know, there's a kind of simple life where you don't even have anything to clean up. But you also have no business, right? Like, there's just nothing. Right? So it's saying, yeah, it's, you, you don't have to clean the stalls if you don't have any oxen. But if you want to build your business, you're going to have to get some oxen or some machines Or hire some workers. You're going to have to complicate your life. You're going to have to work hard. It's going to get messy, right? The metaphor here is very messy. If you clean up after oxen, it can stink and be very disgusting. So again, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. It's like, but if if you want to farm more, like if if you want to do more, you're going to need to get that machine. You're going to need to get that ox. You're going to need to expand. You're going to need to work hard. You're going to need to clean up after the animals and have a mess to deal with. Hard work is the commanded path to wealth. I grabbed a picture of dirty hands. This is one of my favorite illustrations that God gives us. In Genesis, in the creation of humanity, this is a polemic. In Genesis, we're told that our God is different from every other God in the ancient Near East. The gods in the ancient Near East were too good to mess with labor. They didn't touch common people. They didn't get their hands dirty. They just sat in the shade and drank lemonade. That was the gods of the ancient world. Our God knelt down and dug in the mud and he made us out of that. And then he says, go and shape and work and spread paradise and build and form and struggle and sweat. He says, that's, that's what I've made you for. God has made us to get our hands dirty and to work as well. And he gives us the example in the way that he formed us. So the question is, where specifically is God calling on you to work hard? What does that look like in your life? This is kind of a good news, bad news thing. Hard work is always the commanded path for all of us, no matter what. We've talked about this. A lot of folks in our community are retired, right? Some medically retired. That means you can do less than you used to be able to do, right? You just can't do as much as you could before. But hard work is still your commanded path. You may not be able to accomplish as much as you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but you're still called on to take the opportunities and the situation you have and to work hard with it to kind of fan that into flame, to build something, to invest out of it. Hard work is a command we're always under. It might look different at different stages of life, right? You just can't do as much as you used to do. But we're still called to engage. We're never supposed to just give up, right? Our work's not done as long as God has us on assignment in this world. And so hard work is the commanded path. where to keep going, and it's commanded even if you don't make a lot of money doing it, Right? So we see this picture in Proverbs that generally, all things being equal, if you work hard, you're going to make money, right? But you're supposed to work hard anyway. (laughs) We work hard and we leave the results to God. That's the life of faith. We work hard to glorify God. And then again, generally, barring disease and robbery and disaster, things are going to go well. But we work hard in trusting the results to God. Uh, Another problem is sometimes we say, well, I don't want I don't want the complication, right? And I would say, well, the oxen, the oxen proverb applies to you, right? Like the simple life. Um, you, can, you can be a street person and be living a very simple life. And, and oftentimes that's what people want. They're like, I just, I just want to live a simple life. I don't want a complicated life. But God actually calls us to engage, to get our hands dirty, to work, to invest, to take whatever he's given us and to do more with it. Parable of the talents is my favorite picture of this. The parable of the talents is in Matthew 25. You can go look it up, but there are two kinds of investors. There's the investor that takes what the master's given him and said, the master's generous. I'm gonna do the best I can with it. And then there's the other kind of investor that says the master is unfair and he takes what doesn't belong to him. So I'm gonna do nothing with the talents he's given me. We wanna be the people that believe that God is gracious. Trust him. Take what he's given to us and work with it. Develop it invest those talents. So where do you need to take next steps of hard work? It might be at the office, right? Maybe you need to do a better job just honoring God with your work. You may feel like, but Dave, my boss doesn't recognize me. My boss doesn't promote me. My boss doesn't give me more money, so I shouldn't work hard. No, God has given us a standing order. Work hard and leave the results to him. We work hard and then we leave it up to him. Maybe at home, You may feel underappreciated at home, but God has given you this home to invest and to develop for God's glory. It may be in making disciples. We're all under standing orders to take what Jesus has given us and to share it with the world. Are there people that God's calling you to, to talk about the good news of Jesus with them? Are there places where you can serve here at this church or in your neighborhood where you can make disciples and help others to grow and understand who he is? To shape others, to just maybe take someone along that's growing in their faith and say, hey, let's, let's read the Bible together. Let's encourage one another. I've been walking with Jesus for two years. You've been walking with Jesus for one year. We can help each other out. What are some next steps you could take to, to work hard? Hard work's the commanded path to wealth. 1 Corinthians 3.6 3, 6 talks about the kind of spiritual investment that Paul gave, and he compares his work to Apollos' work. And he's like, yeah, we had different roles. We did different things. We said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gives the growth. We do the work no matter what, and then we leave the results to God. All right, the third point is that generosity is the gospel fruit of wealth. Generosity is the gospel fruit of wealth. Now, Proverbs states things as they seem, as we see it. So it's just going to describe things, and then we kind of peel back behind the curtain and see more in other scriptures. So like it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, God's the one actually giving the growth, right? God is sovereign. He's the one that's actually producing the wealth. We see other concepts in the New Testament that talk about fruit as being a result of God's work in our life, right? So we have this basic concept that you don't make a tree healthy by sticking fruit on it, but that a healthy tree produces fruit. Jesus says this again and again in the New Testament. And so what can happen is as you amass wealth, sometimes you've amassed wealth by being cautious, by being careful with what you have, by investing, by saving. And the Bible's going to encourage us to share some of that, to always have a margin that we're giving. So the Bible talks about in the Old Testament about tithing. It's like giving 10% is one marker that's given. There's another uh, value of gleaning, which is if you have a farm, you leave some of the edges of your farm so that others can collect some of the fruit, right? So there's this concept repeated again and again in different places throughout Scripture that as you build your business and amass wealth, you're always going to leave some margin to help out others. It's just a basic principle. And so we see this played out in Proverbs 3, 9, 11, 24, and 19, where it's going to say, don't be afraid to be generous. If you've amassed wealth through being a careful steward of what you have, God has given that to you. It's okay to have wealth, but you also want to share some of it with others. You want to be generous with it, and your wealth's not going to just dry up if you're generous. God's actually going to keep blessing you. You'll be okay because really God's the one that's taking care of you. It's not you taking care of you. It's God taking care of you. You want to be a good steward. You want to manage things well, but God's taking care of you so you can be generous. So Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, back to the beginning of the book of Proverbs. I said this a few times before, chapter 3 is is kind of like a bedrock for the whole book. It's a really good book that gives insight into a lot of the different themes of Proverbs. So Proverbs 3, verses uh, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce. So be generous and give back to the Lord's work. In the Old Testament, we see two patterns of giving to the spread of God's word and giving to the poor and the needy. Those are kind of two different ways to give that we would continue to encourage today. It says in verse 10 then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Saying, build this pattern of giving, of being generous. And again, the New Testament clarifies, it's a fruit. Generosity is a fruit of the gospel of God changing your heart. It's not something that earns God's attention. It's not something that makes God have to pay attention. Oh, I gave, so now God has to love me. No, God loves me, so I'm gonna give. I'm gonna honor him with what he's given to me. Proverbs 11:24 24 gives us a few more details as well. We don't have to worry about our generosity. We don't have to think it's all gonna disappear if we're generous, Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. There's one person that's like, I can be generous. God has blessed me. I'll give to others. I'm going I'm to live a life that looks like God's generosity. And those people will be fine. That's what the proverb is saying. But others withhold and only suffer want. I think this is a pretty good summary of the parable of talents in Matthew chapter 25. And then flip over a few more pages. Proverbs 19:17. This makes it very relational. It's between you and God. Proverbs 19:17: "Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed." So what's that saying? When you give to the poor? You're actually giving to God. You're actually honoring God. So again, general pattern, we have wealth. General pattern is we don't give away everything we have, right? We're going to come back to Jesus' saying at the end and kind of wrestle with why, why was Jesus telling this guy to give away everything he had in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10? Because the general pattern in the Old Testament is to develop your business, build more wealth, make more money, and give away the fringes. Give away your 10%, or actually in the Old Testament, it was between 23 and 33%. So if you want to give that much to the church, we will welcome that. We're glad for you to give that much, 33%. That'd be awesome. But there's just this general pattern of the fringe, right? The 10% tithe is a word for that. It's a tenth. Or gleaning, you leave the edges of your business so that others can be blessed by that, right? You develop a margin where you're just constantly being generous with what God has given to you. That's picture. I have a picture here of fruit. The fruit comes out of what God has done for you. You don't make yourself healthy by gluing fruit on your life. Fruit, generosity, looking like God, being kind to others, that's an overflow of God's kindness in Christ to you. So Galatians 5 describes the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, we're not, we're not saved by our works, but we do good works if Jesus has worked in our heart if we know we're saved by his grace, that's going to produce good works. We're going to want to bless others and serve others and help others. So what are a couple of particular ways that we can do this? Well, as I said, giving time and money to help the poor is one way. And then giving time and money to help the spread of God's word. I think those are kind of two buckets we want to think about. Are you giving? Are you generous? Because Jesus has been generous to you in these two areas. Helping those that are struggling? financially, and helping those that haven't heard the good news of Jesus yet. And so there are a lot of different charities that you can get involved with that help the poor. We work with some of those here in the community that tangibly help people to find hope. And then there are ways that you can help to spread the good news of Jesus, right? When we ask you to give to our church, we're primarily asking you to give towards word ministry, where we tell the good news in line with the Great Commission and help the whole world to know that Jesus has come for them and their hearts can be changed, and they can trust in Christ's goodness. So it's word ministry versus deed ministry is how some people think about that. We give some to the poor and do some things for the, the food care center and Foster Love Bell County and Hope Pregnancy Center, but primarily as a church, primarily our a kind of definitional existence is about proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And then helping the poor and needy is a character revealer of like, oh, this is, this is what God is like. This is part of the standing orders as well. So how can we help the needy? Uh, number one, I think just learning more about how to do it smartly is really helpful because a lot of us wanna just give money, but we don't actually wanna get involved in people's lives. So there's a book called When Helping Hurts that's really helpful. I would recommend that to you. It's kind of talking about the philosophy of giving. It says, don't give up giving to the poor until you've got it perfect, right? Like keep stumbling forward, keep helping people but get smarter about it. You wanna do it in a way that doesn't make them dependent on you, but helps them to flourish and begin to build wealth for themselves. That's really the goal. So when Helping Hurts by Brian Fickard is a great book. We've read that when we've done stuff in Guatemala. It's been really helpful to us in kind of thinking more clearly about how we can help people without hurting them. I also wanna just praise our Afghan family resettlement. Have have y'all heard about what we've been doing with the Afghan family? Uh, Refugees from Afghanistan, they've come here and, and this team has done incredible work to serve them, and they've done smart work, right, helping them to become independent. So our church has given a lot of money, a lot of time to help these folks, but we've also walked alongside them, right, created actual friendships, uh, real help, tangible long-term help. Some other local options we mentioned before, Foster Love, Bell County. It's a great way you're like, man, there's so many different ways I could give to help struggling people. I'm not sure where it's a real simple one because in the book of James, we're told that this is one of the standard ways to reveal our faith is by helping out orphans and widows, right? So you know that's, okay, there's a verse for that one. That's an easy one, right? So Foster Love Bell County does a great job addressing really one of the biggest problems in our county. We have one of the highest child abuse rates in the world, in the nation. I shouldn't say world, in the nation. And so addressing that through Foster Love Bell County, helping people to learn how to be foster parents, helping support people that are in the system, uh, helping people get trained to do uh, babysitting for foster families. There's a lot of great ways you can get involved with them. And then finally, Hope Pregnancy Center. Uh, We can talk a lot about rights to life and honoring the, the baby in the womb as a real human being, and those are important things to know and think. But Hope Pregnancy Center tangibly supports folks that are struggling with an unwanted pregnancy. And so this is a great ministry to support as well. And then I would also say, again, giving to the church, right? This is where I really twist your arm and tell you God will bless you more if you give to the church, right? But, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you believe that Jesus gave himself for you, you're going to want other people to know about that. That's our appeal. Can you help us tell more people? we'd love for you to partner with us in the ministry. We'd love to hire more people and run more programs and build more and do more, right? Not just to take over the world as Grace Bible Church, but to tell more people about Jesus. So we'd love for you to partner with us financially. Again, not to win God's approval, but because you're convinced that Jesus loves you. If you're convinced of that, help us tell more people about Jesus or help somebody else tell more people about Jesus but there's a gospel fruit that overflows out of your being convinced that Jesus has changed your own life. So you're gonna want other people to know Jesus as well. We'd love for you to partner with us in that. A practical thing you can do this Saturday, we've got that partner's meeting. You can come join us and just learn more about how money is spent and kind of where we're going in the, in the next year. That might be a good place to start. Um, that's this Saturday, 9 to 12. Another tangible way you can give to the church uh, and help us to tell more people about Jesus is in the nursery. We're coming up on a time period where a lot of people are traveling and uh, they're leaving. And so our nursery volunteer schedule gets a little wonky over Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's a huge way you could give back to the ministry of the church. You could help other people meet Jesus and hear about Jesus is by helping us to have a safe and well-run nursery. You could volunteer, you could contact the church office if you'd like more information about that. Well, we'll wrap up here. The big idea is that we would be wise about wealth. And Proverbs 30 kind of gives us this kind of golden mean balance idea, right? We don't wanna be so poor that we dishonor God's name and we don't wanna be so rich that we think we've got life all figured out and we've become proud and we don't need him anymore. And then I introduced that story where Jesus challenged this guy to give away everything he had. And it's kind of confusing, right? Because the rest of the Bible says, no, it's okay to have money. Just be generous with it, right? Help others, glorify God with it. So a really helpful verse that balances it out for us is kind of the norm in the New Testament is First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six says this is kind of the general way that we should be thinking about money in the New Testament. First Timothy six seventeen says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. What does that mean? Proud. Don't be proud. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I said at the beginning if you're in this room, if you're an American, you're one of the richest people in the world. We're all rich by world standards. According to 1 Timothy 6, this is a charge that we're all given. Don't think that you are all that because of the money and the influence you have. Don't set your hope on that money and that influence. Set your hope on God who provides for all people. That's the challenge for us. So that when Jesus told this rich young ruler to sell everything he had and to give to the poor, why why did Jesus do that? Most commentators will say, it's interesting, Jesus quotes all these different laws and he doesn't quote the law about coveting. He doesn't quote the law about heart idolatry, about loving things more than God himself. And yet he challenges him to live up to that commandment about coveting. He challenges him to live up to the commandment about heart idolatry. He says, okay, I think maybe you love your riches more than me. Why don't you just give it all up and come follow me? He says Jesus loved him, and that's why he said what he said to him. And so it all comes back to Jesus. Second Corinthians 8 is one of the best chapters in the New Testament about giving and about money. And it says, Jesus Christ, yet he was rich. He became poor for us so that we can become rich in him. It brings it back to the spiritual reality that the God of the universe gave up the riches of heaven to give his life for you and me. Because of that, We can live with confidence. We can know the secret of living in plenty and in want. We can honor Jesus with our riches and we can honor Jesus with our suffering because we trust that he really has given himself for us. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you gave yourself for us. We pray, Jesus, that you would transform our lives so that we would live obedient lives, we would live joyful lives, we would live generous lives that what we do with our everyday, everyday lives would be a picture to the world of your willingness to work hard, your willingness to be generous, your love for us. We thank you and pray that you'd help us to be satisfied in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.